Uh, let's do some spiritual aerobics. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word this morning. We are going to hear, for the third time in four weeks, we're going to hear someone who said three words that change everything. So this morning, this is the Old Testament patriarch, Jacob. We're looking at Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 7. And this is the story of Jacob, maybe finally nailing it and getting it exactly right. So Israel, his name has been changed to Israel at this point. Sometimes the scripture calls him Israel. This is where the sons of Israel, Israelites, comes from. Uh, sometimes he's called Jacob. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Remember that. He offered sacrifices in Beersheba. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I'm the God, the God of your father, he said. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Joseph was his son. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the cart that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan, and Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters and all his offspring. May God bless this reading to our hearing and what we have to say today. You may be seated. So I want you all to know I've had this morning circled on my calendar for several weeks, and I've been praying for you. Those of you who would be here this morning, and not just because I've been away at the beach. Uh, and I've been praying for those who would listen at home. I really want today uh, to stir our hearts. Uh, I know it's the middle of the summer. I know we barely got here, and a lot of us aren't here this morning. But I want today to grab our hearts and our minds and our attention. The message today, so in a nutshell, the message today, for those of you who, like me, are in the last couple of chapters of your life, let's use it wisely. Don't waste your life. Don't waste what you have left. You've lived enough of life to know with every fiber, you know that life is, is short and we only get one life. Let's make the last couple of chapters count. Or maybe for you, this is the last chapter. Actually, for any of us, this could be the last chapter. I'm doing a funeral this week. And the message today for those of you who are in the middle of your lives. This is a busy, fun time for many of you. And in some ways, you're, you're at the peak of your powers. You've got that right combination of, of still vitality and energy, but experience. But it's, it's, it's especially easy during this period of your life to lose the main thread. That's, that's why we hear about the uh, midlife crisis. This morning, I want you also to decide not to waste your life. I want you to decide to use your time wisely, to make it count. We have only got one life. It's short. Let's not waste it on trivialities. And I very much want to speak to those of you who are at the beginning. Don't waste your life. You get one. Don't waste it. 
you're just starting out, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out your career, you're trying to figure out what your family dynamics will be, or maybe you've already taken the first steps into that, you're beginning to live out what will be lifetime priorities and patterns, well, it's not too late to make tweaks, even major adjustments to that. So decide to live in a way that makes your life count. Don't waste your life. That's the message today. The Apostle Paul put it like this, be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Make it count. Uh, When Diane and I were at the beach, I don't know if I mentioned Diane and I just got back from the beach, but uh, when we were at the beach, I heard an acoustic version, I hadn't heard this before, I heard an acoustic version of the 2003 song, by Switchfoot. If you're of a certain age or if you have children of a certain age, you will remember this song. It's called Dare You to Move. And I was struck because it's an acoustic version. I I feel like I heard the lyrics or maybe I heard them more clearly than I ever had before. And I I was struck, he says, uh, it starts it off, welcome to the planet, welcome to existence. I suppose he's singing to his child or someone's child. And then the chorus, part of the chorus says this, dare you to move, dare you to move like today never happened before. And it it hit me, it hasn't. Today has never happened before. Let's make it count. Now, making our lives count is not easy. There are a million ways to waste your life. We're familiar with many of them. We've tried some of them. Some of you may be trying some of them now. Uh, It's not easy to make your life count, but it's also not complicated. It's often been said, and rightly so, that the way to make your life count, if you want to make your life count, you you just need to be fully committed to the right idea. You just need to be all in on the right idea. You need to speak a wholehearted, a whole life yes to the right idea. And so, what is the right idea? To make your life count, you really need to be fully committed saying yes to God. There it is. If you miss everything else, don't miss that. If, if to make your life count, you, you need to be fully committed to saying yes to God. Whatever God says, the answer is yes. Whenever God calls, the answer is here I am. And those three words change everything. Here I am. That's what, that's what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah did, and it changed everything. John talked about that here three weeks ago. That's what Abraham, the the Old Testament patriarch, did. And it changed everything. Dean talked about that two weeks ago here. And that's what Jacob did. We just read it. And it changed the course of history for an entire nation, really, for a whole region of the world. So let's get Jacob's backstory real quick. Uh, Many of you will know this, but Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the, the man Dean talked about two weeks ago. And he was also the son of Isaac. It's interesting that in Genesis 47.9, chapter after the one we're looking at this morning, Jacob's speaking to Egypt's Pharaoh. He's moved to Egypt. He's talking to the Pharaoh now. He said this, look at this. The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. You know, Many scholars will suggest that Jacob is getting at more than just his age here. 
He's, he's ruminating, look at this, he's ruminating on the idea that his life doesn't measure up to the lives of his grandfather and his father. And no wonder he thought that. Jacob came from a line of people who had lived epic lives and, and people who had epic relationships with Almighty God. There's good reason for Jacob to feel like his life didn't measure up. He'd certainly blown it in some significant ways in his life, and yet we still read Jacob's story today. He had no idea that would be the case. Jacob had 12 sons by two wives and two handmaidens. That's a complicated family history. Uh, here's the lineage laid down. Dean, go to that next slide. Uh, so the 12 sons of Jacob are by four women, but his favorite son was Joseph. And, and Jacob made no secret of that. And you may know the story of Joseph, even if you're not familiar with uh, the Old Testament book of Genesis. The, they did a Broadway play about it, Joseph in the Coat of Many Colors. Now, the other brothers, out of understandable but deeply sinful jealousy, they sold Jacob into slavery and told their father that he had been taken by a wild animal, or they at least implied that. And Joseph then went on to experience what should be a Netflix miniseries. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 37 through 50 sometime. Read it. Seriously, if you haven't read this story lately, you should read it this week. Anyway, Joseph ended up as the vice president of Egypt after he'd been sold into slavery, don't ask, and he was put in charge of Egypt's entire grain reserves. So when a severe famine hit the entire Middle East region, Jacob and his sons were back in Palestine starving. Now the brothers had no idea what had become of Joseph. They're, they're, and Jacob, their father, believed that he was dead because they had led him to believe that. So Jacob instructed his sons, the remaining 11, to go to Egypt. He'd heard that they had grain to sell in Egypt. Go speak to the vice president, ask him for grain for us, Jacob told them, and you can see where this is going. Through some machinations and some incredible drama, again, go read it, uh, he made it clear that Jacob revealed himself to his brothers. He was reunited with his brothers. He made it clear that he held no grudge, which amazed them. And, and uh, he tells them to go back home and bring his father Jacob to Egypt to be with him because he had the resources to take care. He's in charge of basically Egypt's resources. He had the resources to take care of Jacob and, and the whole family. In fact, take care of them in style. So the, the brothers returned home and they gave this message to their father, Jacob. Let's move to Egypt. The vice president will take care of all of our needs. He even sent accommodations to help with the move. Here's his chariot outside. And by the way, the vice president is, drum roll, your long lost son, Joseph. He's still alive. Well, much rejoicing, great deal of confusion <laughs> and a whole lot of feelings, right? So at that point, Jacob had a decision to make. Do I move to Egypt? Pros. Uh, my son Joseph is alive and he will take care of all our needs. Let's go. Cons. One, this is the land of promise. God promised my grandfather this land, and, and he said that he would make a great nation out of his descendants here in this land. God reiterated that promise to my father Isaac, and I believe he's even reiterated, to, reiterated it to me. Second, this is my home. I've built a good life here. I have wealth. 
I have a large family, and this is our place. Three, I'm old. And it's a hassle to go anywhere. But to uproot my entire life to go to Egypt, I'm old. Four, Joseph could come here and much more easily than I could go there. Five, I don't speak the language. Six, I don't know the culture. Seven, I'm old. Into this quagmire, God spoke. Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob responded with the three words that change everything. Here I am. Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt because I'm going to make you a great nation there. To make our lives count, we need to say yes to God. Well, that means a lot of things, but let me mention two this morning. First of all, that means saying no to everything else. Saying yes to God means saying no to everything else. All right, maybe not literally no to everything else, but everything else becomes such a distant priority, it's as if we say no to everything else. This is what Jesus meant when he said, and look at this, this is Jesus, this is a quote. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person can't be my follower, can't learn from me, they can't be my disciple. Jesus actually said that. And what he meant was, everything else must be such a distant priority, it's as if you hate it. This is what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that. Everything else will be taken care of. Seek that. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer meant when he said, when Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. To make our lives count, we must say, here I am when God calls. And that means saying no to everything else. So, Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt as a result of this encounter. He left his home, he left what was known and what was comfortable, and he followed what God told him to do. And we are still reading his story today, by the way. It's not easy to make your life count, but it's not complicated. You just have to be fully committed to the right idea. And the right idea is saying yes to God. You don't even have to do it perfectly or all at once. You don't have to do it perfectly or all at once, but you have to do it growingly, if that's even a word. I went to a seminar years ago by a man named Leonard Sweet, and he's one of these guys that uh, a number of years ago, 20 to 30 years ago, Leonard Sweet was pretty popular, wrote a lot of books, and he's a, he's a futurist. He thinks about the future, and, and uh, also a Christian author, and, and uh, owned a, a coffee shop in the middle of nowhere that, you know, pilgrims would go to sit at Leonard Sweet's feet. And he did this seminar, and, and I was able to go it was in Phoenix, Arizona. It's hot as blazes. And we're in this seminar. There are three or 400 pastors. And uh, Leonard Sweet was pretty awesome. But one of the things he did that was kind of crazy, he started talking about modern medicine. He just spit off all these statistics about modern medicine and how we're able to take care of ourselves and our, our bodies today. And we're all wondering, where the heck is this going? And he said, you know, uh, there's a good chance that, that many of you are, go- many, many more of you certainly than 100 years ago. Many more of you are going to live into your 90s. And I I think we need to increasingly think about ourselves and the people that we care for, because all of us were pastors. I think we need to think about ourselves and the people that we care for, divide our lives into thirds, he said. And he said, I think the first third of our life should be, it's, we've got to think about being educated and being prepared. 
And the second third of our life, that's about uh, its career and family. Finally, the third third of your life is you can be fully dedicated to God. You can, you can say yes to him, and, and you, there, there are no competing priorities. When you, when you get old, Leonard Sweet said, forget retirement. Make that time the time when you are most fully committed. Live for God. Say a more consistent, more all-encompassing yes to God than you ever have. He said the idea of us working and saving and retiring, he said that's an American idea. It's not a biblical idea. He asked all who are in the crowd who are under 40 to stand up. I was not under 40. I lied and stood up anyway. And he said, I'm talking to you. I got to tell you, that's a compelling vision for how to live. To make your life count, you need to say yes to God. And that means saying no to everything else. Secondly, that means taking all of your decisions to God. Taking all of your, saying yes to God means taking all of your decisions to God. Everything we do comes before God if we want our lives to count. Let's look back at Jacob, what he did real quickly for a second. Remember, he was contemplating this epic move to Egypt. He wanted to see his son, Joseph, but he had this list of cons as well. So what's the right thing to do, really? I love this. One commentary that I read about this said, this is what happened next. I'm going to quote from the commentary. Jacob didn't even make it out of Palestine before he needed to stop and consult with God. Beersheba was the southernmost outpost in the land, but he was still in the land. And according to chapter 46, verse 1, Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he stopped and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac, end quote. He needed to inquire of God. It was Jacob's habit to take his decisions to God. If we want our lives to count, every decision goes before God. I want you to listen up for a second. I'm apologizing in advance for any offense. Most of us ended up here in suburban northern Virginia because it was the most comfortable thing we could do. If we could have afforded a home on the beach in Malibu, we would have done that instead. In fact, if we could afford that and this, all the better. Most of us are not here because we consulted God and heard him speak. We're here because we got a good job or we're familiar with the place or this was the most house we could afford on our salary. Uh, 22 years ago, uh, Pastor John Piper spoke to a large conference of mostly college-age Christians at the time. I've heard more than one person say that that talk shaped their lives. I heard on a podcast a uh, couple months ago, I heard a pastor say he thought that talk shaped their entire generation. If you're of a certain age, and that age now is roughly between 40 and 50, chances are you have heard many talks or, or read many books by someone whose life was changed that day. He called the talk, Don't Waste Your Life. Piper began by briefly telling the story of two women. Uh, Ruby Eliason, who was an 80-year-old nurse, never married, and who spent her entire life working among the poorest citizens of Cameroon, and her friend Laura Edwards, who was a semi-retired doctor, 
dedicating much of her retirement years to helping her friend Ruby deliver medical care in the toughest, poorest parts of Cameroon. They were spending their lives trying to offer the love of God demonstrated in Christ to some of the most needy and most vulnerable and most unreached peoples in the world. Piper says that just a few weeks before that talk that he gave to that large assembly of young college students, just a few weeks before that, Ruby and Laura, who were part of his church back in Minnesota, Ruby and Laura were in a car that careened off of a cliff in Cameroon and they, to quote Piper, sailed into eternity. And then Piper asked, Piper said this, I asked my congregation, is that a tragedy? It's not a tragedy, Piper responded. I'll tell you what's a tragedy. And then he picked up a magazine from the speaker stand, and he read from it. Start now. Retire early. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. Then Piper reminded that young audience that American industry is spending multiple billions of dollars trying to convince us that this is the way to live and we are buying it. Don't, don't make a decision based on your comfort. Don't do it just because you can afford it. Don't do it because it seems like the next thing you're supposed to do. Do it, whatever it is, because you've consulted God and he said go. You don't have to do this perfectly. And as I said, many of us don't. Many of us ended up here for suspect reasons. But you have to do it growingly, more and more. Some of you are considering a move or some kind of uh, career change or, or some dramatic change in your life. Uh, don't even get to the next county before you stop and consult God. For all I know, this message could be part of God's confirmation for you. You, you. you may feel his stirring right now to do the thing that you've been considering doing. If so, by all means, go do it. But making our lives count means saying yes to God, and that means taking all of our decisions to him all of the time. This past uh, week on the beach, I don't know if I mentioned Diane and I were at the beach this past week, but this past week at the beach, Diane and I were suffering sunscreen in our eyes, and uh, it was really hot. We had to get closer to the water, and it was a real struggle. Uh, we were talking about the next few years in our lives, and we have a host of uh, important decisions coming up for the two of us. And while we were talking, uh, Diane, who had not even heard this sermon, Diane reminded me that we should pray. She said, you know, we've, just, we've got to consult the Lord about this, and I want you to know I am so holy. My, seriously, my first response was, I don't want to pray. I want to go ride waves. To make our lives count, we have to take every decision to God all the time. We have to say a wholehearted yes to the right idea, and the right idea is going, doing God's will. And that means, first of all, saying no to everything else. And secondly, that means taking all of our decisions to God, big and small. 
At the end of his talk, 20 years ago, Piper imagined what Bob and Penny would have to say at the end of their lives when they stand before God. Hey, God, here's my shell collection. Make your life count. Whatever's left of it. If this small group of people decided to make our lives count, God could make an immeasurable impact in our area, in our region. One man said, here I am, and it changed the course of history for an entire nation of people. Let's pray. I don't know if your heart has been stirred by something specific this morning. There may be something that you have heard God speak to you about and you have not yet said, here I am. Maybe you've never said, here I am. You've never turned it all over to him. Don't waste your life. You can amass a gigantic shell collection and it means nothing. Don't waste your life on trivialities. I don't know if you're in the middle and you need to be redirected. I don't know if you're nearer the end and you need to be reminded you, he's not finished with me yet. Let's keep our eyes closed. Would you stand with me? Lord, we... I don't know. Each of us, Lord. Each of us. We're... Each of us is praying. Each of us is responding. I mean, Lord, I sense someone is sitting at home and, and you have captured their attention. I pray also, I pray your spirit would hover over those of us who are here in this room. Without reserve, Without, without regard for anything else, without regret, we say, here I am. I'm all in with whatever you've got. And I pray, Lord, for each of us. I don't want to make stuff up. I pray for each of us. You'd make that specific. Speak. Your servants are listening.